All right, here we go. Yeah, and thankful, thankful for Michelle. Michelle gets to lead our uh, women's ministry around here, and we're thankful for her investment in that way. Um, so we're continuing on in Peter, and um, I think he's got some interesting, some inter- interesting things for us. Uh, but there's still this general thread that we've been marching through which is this idea that Peter is now challenging us to live out our new identity in Jesus in the midst of a needy and watching, skeptical and sometimes hostile world for the sake of God's glory. And he's making this turn now. We saw it last week in verse 11 and 12. And now he's shifting into some things that some consider household commands, but he's got an interesting twist that it's more outward focused than the household. We're going to see that in a little bit. But what feels relevant for me in, in, in the case of some of the things we're going to hear today, uh, what we're going to do is, is try and look back, like we always do, at the original audience, these first century, AD 60 Christians that Peter is writing to that are spread out all over current modern day Turkey, and then cross this bridge into what might be relevant for us in our town, our current culture today. Because there's a possibility that some of the things we wrestle with today might not land uh, as, as easily for you. And so if that's the case, you can email me at fredss at hbclife.com. I'll be available to receive any questions you might have. Um, but, but there's some challenging stuff because Peter is going to call us to submit to the government, to submit to every human institution. And so I want to look back just briefly at some of the historical context Peter was finding himself in as he was writing these, because there was three subsequent emperors that were not good dudes. So Peter's, it's not lost on Peter some of the challenges you face under an unjust government. Here's, what, here's some of what Peter was facing as he was writing us this letter. Uh, just prior, there were three emperors, Caligula, Claudius, and then Nero. Nero is what Peter's writing under. But here's some of the crazy stuff Caligula did. Just, just insanity. He, uh, he had his mom and brother killed. And maybe that doesn't land on you because you've heard it so many times, but I'm just going to say it one more time. As an emperor, he had his mother and his brother killed. Uh, openly committed incest with three of his sisters. Openly dressed as a woman or as female gods such as Diana from time to time. And I thought this story was fascinating. So he, he didn't want to come back from war empty-handed. So after losing to, the, to, to Britain, he invaded the god Neptune. So he once went to war with Neptune, the god of the sea, after being forced to abandon a military campaign to invade Britain. The story says that he couldn't return to Rome without a victory of some kind, so he declared war on Neptune and ordered his men to whip the waves, and he then had his men collect seashells as spoils of war. An insane ruler. He installed, I found this fascinating, he installed his favorite horse as one of the senators. And then, and then before he died, he was attempting to have that same horse as one of his consuls. There's two consuls in Rome, the high, a high ruling position. He was trying to make a horse one of those consuls of Rome. And he had the heads of statues of deities removed and replaced them with 
his face. Now, I haven't seen uh, any president remove statues of Jesus with their uh, bust yet, but who knows what's coming. But crazy, an insane ruler. Next, Claudius, and and I'm not going to develop much on him, but but not as insane, but just as cruel. Uh, What he considered appropriate in the gladiator arena, uh, he would be seen as this bloodthirsty ruler. And then Nero, the one where is, is currently uh, around while Peter's writing his letter. Mother killed Claudius in his sleep so that her son could replace him. So you'd think Nero would repay his mom for helping him become emperor. Instead, he also killed both his stepbrother and his mother. He had a special squad of 5,000 soldiers that would just follow him around because he was a lyricist. He, he would play. Um, and, and he had this group that would follow and clap for him. That was their job, to clap after his performances. Uh, he accused, he was potentially accused of setting Rome on fire. Two-thirds of Rome burned, and, uh, and then he would later blame Christians. That hasn't happened yet, uh, based upon our understanding of when Peter's written. But later, he would then throw Christians to dogs, nail them to crosses, feed them to lions, and on occasion, dip them in oil, set them on fire, and use the light to illuminate his gardens. It's not lost on Peter some of the complexities of what he's about to share about how we, as followers of Jesus, interact with the government. He's going to write some pretty intense words. I just don't want to lose sight of the context with which he's writing these words. Um, so as we enter in, I mean, I, I was tempted. I'm like, do we just skip over this section? Because he's going to talk about how we interact with the government. He's going to talk about uh, um, immature husband and wife relationships. And then he's going to talk about the workforce and interacting with uh, potentially um, unjust workplace environments. But he's going to use language that was relevant in that day that might have different connotations for when we read it. I'm just like, should we just skip over these sections? But here's our conviction that, that when we study a text together, we're just going to walk through the text. And we're going to trust that God is doing things in his sovereignty and in his time in our lives as we walk through these texts together. As we study their town and then try and apply it to our town. And so, 1 Peter 11 and 12, these will sound familiar from last week. Here's what he he said as he shifted his letter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's two other places that Paul writes about household codes. He writes about it in Ephesians and Colossians. But Peter differs slightly from the way Paul addresses these same ideas. Paul writes them for the local church family about how we interact with each other. Do you guys notice kind of the nuance that Peter's taking on it? In verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And now he's going to unpack over our next few weeks how we live to those around us in the way we operate with certain ways we conduct ourselves. Not primarily for us, but actually for the watching and needy world. So here's the text for this morning. You guys ready? Here's what Peter first starts in this section. 
Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Be subject to every human institution. There's this call that he's going to challenge us to. For him in the midst of very challenging circumstances, his challenge to us, be subject to every human institution. Now, how's that work when we say God is our ultimate authority and boss? Does that give us license to do whatever we choose? Peter's challenging us and saying, no, be subject to every human institution. So here's our big idea as we jump into the text this morning, that God has actually called us to glorify himself by submitting to those to whom he's given responsibility and authority. That we then experience and display our life with Jesus. Again, it's outward focused. Peter is outward focused. We display, we experience and display our life with Jesus when we allow those to exercise the roles they have been granted by God. That is the way we exercise and live out and display this life with Jesus. So let's pray and we will dig into the text together again. Just be reminded, you can email me if you have any questions at fredes at hbclife.com. Let's pray and we will get into it. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are what you're doing in our world. Uh, Reveal yourself as you always do as we want to be biblically saturated. We want to think biblically about everything. We want to hear from you believing these are your very words about how to experience the deepest, most profound meaning in life in relationship with you and then celebrate and display and live that out in front of everyone we come in contact with. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Here's where we're headed. God has called us to glorify himself by submitting to those to whom he's given responsibility and authority. And we experience and display life with Jesus when we allow others to exercise the roles they've been granted. And then Peter's going to develop, I think in this text, the reasons why we do this. He's going to give us a few reasons why we actually live this way. Uh, and, And I noticed this first service. I think Jack, I think Jack is like, putting these things strategically on the stage to keep me like confined to a certain boundary. Does that sound about right? So I don't go too far off. Is that right, Jack? Is that the reason? We live this way because first, and we're just going to look back at verse nine and 10. We live this way because our primary identity is not as a U.S. citizen. It's not primarily about this country. Instead, we are deeply rooted as kingdom people. Back in verse 9 to 11. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And so as sojourners and exiles, not as tourists and residents, not as, not as people rooted and grounded in this place, but rather as sojourners and exiles connected to a place beyond this life. You are citizens of heaven. Do we believe that is our primary identity? If so, Peter is challenging us in how we live then and interact with this world. So first, he says, we experience and display our life with Jesus when we allow others to exercise the roles they've been granted by God. And we live this way. Why? Why would we grant someone else? Why would we acquiesce? Why would we be subject to every human institution? Because we're deeply rooted as kingdom people. And second, because we are motivated to bring glory to God as our primary motivation. Here's what he says. Be subject based upon my emotional state at, uh, at 10, 20, 11, 20 in the afternoon. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Why? For this is the will of God. If that's your deepest motivation in life, Peter's trying to call us to something higher. What would motivate us? Because we're compelled by the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up, but rather living as servants of God. You heard of Paul? Wrote that thing called, uh, uh, Consider Others Better Than Yourself. This, this constant encouragement from Peter, why would we live in this way? For the Lord's sake. That that is our deepest motivation, that we want to honor him ultimately. And then he's going to develop another idea that I found was fascinating. Well, why would we be subject to every human institution as kingdom people for the Lord's sake? And then I thought this third idea was fascinating, so wrestle with this with me. We are identified by good works that silence those who seek to discredit the gospel. Here's what he says. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. For what reason? Why would I live this way? I thought God was my authority. I thought I, thought I was free in him. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what is the good in this context? Being subject to every human institution. Educators, government, police. Doing good. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In what way are you silencing someone? Meaning cancel culture. We don't like cancel culture, right? That's a way of silencing people and, and negating their voice. And yet he's saying, by doing good, you are can't you are silencing them put to silence the ignorance of foolish people so what might be the ignorance they're manifesting trying to discredit the name of jesus here's two here's two stories back in rome of attempts to discredit the gospel they considered they considered first century christians to be cannibals because they heard this rumor that these Christians would drink their Savior's blood and eat his body. And so they, there was this rumor that started to go around to discredit the gospel. So in order to 
put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, it was clarifying we're actually celebrating and commemorating a beautiful symbol of our faith that Jesus, our Savior, died and was buried. And so as a symbol of that, we drink a cup of grape juice and we eat a piece of bread to celebrate and commemorate. Second, the Romans accused the first century Christians of being anti-government, atheistic, and immoral because they, worshiped Rome, because they wouldn't worship Roman gods. So they were considered atheists. There was this rumor, this accusation that was attempting to discredit and silence. Look at these Christians. They don't believe in any God. They don't believe in the Roman gods. But rather, to see a different view, it's actually we serve the one true God. And by doing good, by being subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake, by being the greatest citizens, you put to silence those who would attempt to discredit the gospel. But David, what's that look like for us today? I feel like there's a, a phobic attached to any kind of first word phobic that might be attributed to people who follow Jesus. And so for me, this is one that I go, what, what might be today's attempt to discredit the gospel? People's feeling, people feeling, this is how I hope we actually live, people feeling loved by us, Christians, though their lifestyle choices are not affirmed by us, we build the opportunity to point them to Jesus. In an attempt to discredit the gospel, add any word and then add phobic, and that might be the perception of who we are. Instead, what I hope is true is that people feel loved by us, though their lifestyle choices might not be affirmed. And so I want to unpack maybe a few ideas of what that might actually look like for us, for those that might seek to discredit the gospel by the way we live. My hope is I never actually expect those who don't love God to hold a Christian value system. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not slamming someone for living contrary to a value system that I espouse. espouse. If they don't espouse it, instead, I think there's something else I'd love them to align with, namely, follow Jesus. And so, I'm not expecting someone to hold the same line that doesn't follow Jesus, but I want to view every individual as made in the image of God. That, that, that's what Christians stand for, that we are convinced that people are made in the image of God, and we want to view people that way. And, and I want to be more consent, concerned about our eternal destinies rather than someone's sexual indiscretions. I want that to be preeminent. I want eternal-minded conversations that could lead to some implications for our day-to-day. -day. And I want to be more committed to building relationships in which we establish uh, that we and God love them. I want to be committed to building and pursuing relationships rather than just keeping people at bay and sharing a disagreement of ideology. I'd love to develop genuine relationships. We're going to try and wrestle with that a little bit later. And then ultimately, though, always lovingly pointing people to God's design and never compromising on that reality. That, that's, that's the idea of doing good and putting to silence those who might seek to discredit the gospel. But then he gives another idea here. Why would we live in this way? When Jesus allows others to exercise their roles granted by God, why would we live in a way that says we are subject to the government in every human institution? We are deeply rooted as kingdom people. 
We long to bring glory to God in our actions. We are identified by good works that silence those that seek to discredit the gospel. And we have been set free to submit. So wrestle with this because these could feel counterintuitive. You, you ever feel like there's two counterintuitive ideas put together? This is for you, Siggy. Government intelligence, right? Those are just counterintuitive. No? What else? What would be another one, Jeff? What's a counterintuitive idea? Jumbo shrimp. Oh, man. You know one of my favorite things? Casey and I would go to uh, our anniversary dinner at a place called Duke's on the beach. Every time, jumbo shrimp. Every time. That was the meal of choice with that nice little, like, sweet and sour sauce. Oh, has nothing to... We have been set free to submit. That, that is what guides our decision to submit to the government. Why? Because we've been set free to submit. This could feel counterintuitive. Here's what he says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. There's freedom in Jesus. There's no higher authority for our lives than the God of the universe. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. David, I just don't, I'm not sure I align with the way our government allocates my taxes. I'm going to stop paying taxes. Right? Do you remember when Jesus was confronted with this? And he said, do we give this to Caesar? Or do we give this to God? And his response, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And you can almost feel the conversation turn. Man, we knew it, Jesus. We knew, we knew you were just this puppet. We understood that you didn't really advocate for the people of God. And then he turns and he says, and give to God's what is God's. What belongs to God? Everything. Your life, your soul, your, your, your living belongs to God. So render to God what is God's. And what does he say? So live as free. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for some of the evil motives in your heart on why you might not want to do something. Instead, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Live as servants of God. So you might be familiar with something going on right now, right? Are you familiar with wearing masks? Does that sound familiar? How's this work? If we're living as free and yet subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, how do we fit those two ideas together? So, so here's where we as elders back in March tried to live and continue to try and guide our decisions, believing that when our civil authorities mandate masks and or when we temporarily stopped meeting in large groups, in an effort to slow the spread, we happily submitted. We happily submitted because we are ultimately submitting to God and he has designed us to glorify him in this response. Because here's what could have been the perception even now, right? Well, David, we're just living in fear. Hear me say, the decisions we're making, they are not out of fear. We believe God holds our life in our hands, right? He numbers our days. When he's done with us, we're done, right? That's how it works. That God is actually in control, not making decisions out of fear, but also living as people who are free, not making a decision under compulsion because someone is mandating something for us to do and twisting our arm for us to do rather as a reflection of our faith and submitting to God, we submit to civil authorities, and you look around and, and you see others that might not be living in a way that reflects the laws that we adhere to. 
Well, David, look what they're doing. They don't seem to be following the same laws. I hope here's our conviction that we're not using people who break the law as a justification for how we ought to live. That just because we see someone else doing something, this is what I tell my kids, that just because they did it, do you think you should? So as a reflection of submitting ultimately to God, we're making these decisions in real time as we continue to go forward. Not based upon how others are operating and making decisions, but rather as a reflection of those who follow Jesus and submitting to God ultimately. And then always lovingly pointing to God's control. So even if Governor Evers made a decision that went further than what we might believe would be appropriate or helpful for us, writing a letter to Governor Evers and demonstrating we love, we love God and we're trusting him and we believe he's actually the one that's put you in this position to make these decisions, never outside of his ultimate control. So at this point, that has is, that is continued to be our direction around here as we happily submit as a reflection of our faith. So we exercise and display our life with Jesus when we allow others to exercise their roles. And I can feel you're like, well, where's the line, David? Where's the line? We're getting there. We're getting there. We're going to try and develop a line a little bit. When we allow others to exercise the roles they've been granted by God and we live this way because we are citizens of a different kingdom that we appropriately can critique a variety of positions because ultimately we are citizens from a different kingdom and we long, deeply motivated primarily to bring God glory in all we do. And we are identified by good works that actually silence those who seek to discredit the gospel. Look at those Christians. They think they can do whatever they want. Rather, these Christians are the best citizens. We have been set free to submit. How counterintuitive, and yet there is freedom with God as our ultimate, ultimate uh, authority. And we express humility and service towards everyone we interact with. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Again, you heard me quote Paul a little bit earlier, right? Treat others as better than yourselves. What's that mean? It doesn't mean just kind of wilt. It actually is a reflection of humility and service and honor in the way we interact and treat others with a respect that they're deserving. Honor everyone. And yet he goes a little bit further, but love the brotherhood. There's an intimacy and, and, and a service that even gets elevated amongst those who follow Jesus. Fear God. All within this broader umbrella, you can feel that building. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, but ultimately fear God. And then I think bookends this section. So honor the emperor in the way you conduct yourself. Don't say, that's not my president. But also, uh, live in a way that reflects honor the emperor. He continues, one last, and this is going to be saved for a couple weeks, but I felt like just teeing it up a little bit. Where's all this rooted? In this section, Peter kind of is building towards one particular idea, and then he flows out from that idea. It comes from 21 to 25. We have Jesus as our model. So why? Why might we live this way that allows others to exercise their roles? Jesus is our model. 
For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We're going to develop that a little bit later, but actually looking to Jesus who who had the right to be recognized as God and yet decided to not exercise that right. We follow as in his steps as our model. So what, what might it look like? What would it look like this week? How, how might we live? The, can you feel we're crossing over the bridge into our town? What might it look like this week? I, I just have a few encouragements and then we're going to try and navigate. So what's the line? Is there a line? that we would ever resist civil authorities. But first, as those who are ultimately submitting to God, how might we live this out this week? Pursue people in authentic relationship. I hope you've heard me say this multiple times. I love Andy Stanley's quote. uh, Do for one what you wished you could do for many. Do for one what you wished you could do for many. In our mission statement, one life at a time. Pursue people in authentic relationship. If you don't know your neighbor's names, I would encourage you. That would be a great place to start. So that when one of them has a celebration, you actually get to be there and celebrate in that moment as a reflection of your faith and love towards them in authentic relationship. Moving beyond the shallow, superficial uh, relationships with those in your workplace to actually get to know their story a little bit further? What would it look like for Hillcrest to be known as people who pursue others in authentic relationship and building trust? I think another one, confidently sharing our perspectives with love, self-control, kindness, gentleness, and patience. I shared a few weeks ago just about some of the nature of our school district and some of the conversations that appear to be happening in my kids' classrooms. And so Casey and I are exploring what it would look like for us to pursue a conversation and have that be one where we can confidently share our perspective with love and self-control, knowing that there's differing opinions, but also simultaneously reflecting a posture that says we want to submit, knowing this is, this is a, one of the institutions that God has put in our lives. And then we would make decisions based upon what we would believe is best for our family but confidently share our perspective with love. What might it look like this week to continue to build trust? And if that already feels established, confidently share a perspective that aligns more with God's heart. What would that look like? Dialogue with anyone without being quarrelsome. But David, don't you know how angry they make me feel when they make these claims about life? What would it look like to dialogue without entering into quarrelsome? I don't know if you feel it, but your blood pressure, my blood pressure starts to rise as soon as I start feeling like, man, I don't agree with this person. What would it look like to dialogue without becoming quarrelsome? And and then maybe for us, one of the things I love about, about our community as it stands, we get to actively engage in the civil process that selects our civil authorities and potentially also participate in a more formal sense as a civil authority. I'm thankful for those in our community that continue to leverage their life for the sake of the gospel and the roles that they've been entrusted to to the best of their ability as a reflection of their faith. What would it look like for us to live as people who are free and actively engaged in the midst of, of varying positions that have ramifications for the decisions we make? Demonstrating an ultimate ultimate submission to God. So here's the question. So is there a line 
Would we, and by we I'm saying Hillcrest, would we ever resist our civil authorities? And if so, where, where is our line? And I love that the author of this letter has a situation that we get to see in the book of Acts that, that demonstrates a little bit for us of, of how he even comes to write these words. So here's what Peter says in Acts 5, 27 to 29, when he's pursued by other authorities. Now, they don't have the same, they don't have the same technology. You understand that, right? It's, they don't have internet. They don't have Instagram to publish a little quick 30-second video promoting the gospel. Like, their, their tool was words. That was conversation. That was their, that was their medium. We, we feel like we have been able to use a few other creative platforms. But here's what Peter says in Acts 5. 27 to 29. So he's approached, he and the apostles. And when they had brought them, the apostles, they sent them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so Peter had a line. What, what was the line that Peter is drawing that I think is also contained as he's writing these words in 1 Peter? That we will resist civil authorities if they tell us to stop promoting Jesus. And so I, I want to develop that a little bit in a few ideas. What, what's that even mean? What does that look like to be told to stop promoting Jesus? And you can, believe, and you can hear from what we said earlier about our response to the ma- mask mandate. And, and the closing of our campus for a period of time, we didn't believe that line was crossed. That we still were able to promote the gospel via video in a different creative way, but it wasn't limiting the proclamation of the gospel. But what would that look like? So I think for me, if we are asked for our highest allegiance to anyone other than God, that there's a, there's a demand to bow down to the emperor. There's a demand for a higher allegiance to anyone other than God. That we think that is now crossing a line when there's a demand for a higher allegiance with ramifications. There's a demand. That that's a line that we would not cross. We would, we would resist that. If we're asked to participate in the defamation or harm of others, if there's someone, again, who's made in the image of God, who is being physically harmed or defamed, we resist that. That would be us resisting. You can think of situations that have happened in history. One that's happening currently with Uyghurs, right? A minority population, though they don't share the same religious affiliation, made in the image of God, being harmed. We, we would resist told to decide who we can serve, who can be forgiven, who can be saved, who goes to heaven. Maybe not as relevant for us, but you guys have heard of the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation? Does that sound familiar? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? (laughs) Told to decide? There was a mandate now being given to which people like Martin Luther said, we cannot stand uh, or we cannot abide by that. I'm being told who can be forgiven and who can be saved and who can go to heaven. But these next two may be feeling a little bit more relevant for us. Demands to modify the content of the gospel. And, 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 it, and, I'm, and I'm speaking probably most specifically about human sexuality. 
and, and it feels like it's accelerating at, at, a, at a rate, for us, there's a line that we would resist civil authorities if, if we were asked to officiate ceremonies between two men or two women. Made in the image of God, and may we love and display kindness and generosity, but it demands to modify the content of the gospel beyond what we understand uh, to, be, to be a reflection of, of Jesus declaring this hope for the world. And then, I think, demanded to stop sharing, just like Peter, demanded to stop sharing Jesus. That we would say, we cannot help but share about this hope we found. As a beggar who's experienced bread, I wanna share it with everyone. When might we resist civil authorities if there was ever a time where we were demanded to stop sharing about this hope we found in Jesus because there is a radical hope we have found. So pray with me as we welcome up the worship team. God, you're so good. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. May we continue to anchor our lives in you. Even in the challenging text, we want to hear it and we want to reflect an ultimate authority to you and submit our lives to you and see that demonstrated in the way we live Monday to Saturday. Help us to continue to, to anchor our lives in this hope we have in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen.